good to be with you this morning. I'd rather be there than here, but I'm glad I'm here as well. So, all right. Um, as a missionary to children for over 23 years, Sharon and I have really enjoyed uh, working with children. Uh, now that I'm the director of RBM Ministries, anything I can do? All right, I'll just keep on rolling. As the director of RBM Ministries, uh, which many of you know is a children's ministry um, here in Michigan, um, well, we don't get to work with children as much as we used to, uh, but periodically we get opportunities to substitute for others, and uh, I have this illustration that I'd like to show you, and uh, Sharon's going to help me out with this. You can see the kid in my heart here as we do this, I guess, so. All right, let me just do it. All right, I have here a bin which is full of balls, okay? And each of these balls represents activities in our lives that we have going on, things that we like to do, things that keep us busy, things that interest us, maybe responsibilities. And sometimes we try to take this ball, which represents Jesus Christ, and we try to make sure there's room for him in our life. And we put that ball in, We try to put the lid on it, it doesn't go. And I can sit here, I can push, I can shove, I can beat around, it's not going to go, okay? But, this is the fun part. Oh, I just lost my ball here. All right. But, if we start with Christ, we put that ball in first, everything fits. Isn't that amazing? It's not a magic trick. There's nothing special about it except the fact that we have to have our priorities right. Yes, it's the same size bin, by the way, okay? <laughs> so I won't take time to show you that. But, um, and so I just, I just wanted to think about that as we go through our message today. And um, remember that when we try to fit Christ into our life after we've done everything else, we can push, we can shove, we can try to make changes. Oh, if I just do better, if I do these things. But the fact is, if our priorities aren't right, if Christ isn't there in the beginning or there as our priority, when we wake up in the morning and say, my life is dedicated to the Lord today, then we're not going to get there. And so, uh, but when we start with Christ, then there is room for everything that should be in our lives and maybe some fun things as well. And so um, uh, Matthew 6, 33 tells us, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so thank you, Sharon, for your help on that, by the way. Uh, this passage I'd like to use as my starting point today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, but before reading, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you would guide and direct in this time this morning. I pray that you speak to my heart, change my heart, and then also as I share with others that uh, these things will be uh, maybe important to them as well. And we can all take a look at, uh, do we have room for you in our life? Do we have our priorities right? And are we living for you in a way that pleases you? We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son to us. Thank you that we can celebrate his birth at Christmas. And thank you that he wants to be a part of our life and he wants to indwell us and give us wisdom and guidance while we're here on earth and give us a home in heaven someday too. We thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. As most of you know, there are four Gospels. And I think most of you would know that only two of those Gospels 
talk about the Christmas story, what we call the Christmas story. Maybe you hadn't thought about that. I'm going to give you a brief rundown just so you can at least go home with something today, if nothing else but this, all right? Uh, so we'll take a look. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then from Abraham to Joseph, and it tends to focus on Joseph's life. So if you think Matthew talks about the Joseph parts of the Christmas story, uh, that would help you there. Um, and then if we go into uh, Luke, Luke tends to focus on Mary's perspective. When you remember Mary pondered those things in her heart, that's in Luke. And so just a little bit of differences there. Uh, we also get in uh, uh, Mary, uh, uh, the, the angels announced the shepherds in Luke, and uh, we meet some senior saints as well, Simeon and Anna. So um, now if you wonder, what, what do Mark and John do? Have you wondered? Well, Mark starts out with Isaiah's prophecy about a messenger preparing the way, and then starts talking about John, and the first time we hear of Jesus is when he comes to be baptized by John. So that's where he starts at that point. And if you look at the book of John, it goes back to the very beginning. It uh, starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to tell us that the Word was Jesus Christ, and then also talks about uh, Jesus Christ being baptized. And so his story starts basically at baptism there too. So all that's free. You didn't pay any extra for that. I just wanted to let you know that. So uh, I will, would like to read from Luke this morning. Uh, I'll be starting in chapter 2. We will look back at chapter 1 in a little bit. Uh, but if you want to follow along as I read from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says this. And this is after uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and said, we, want to have our, we need everybody to register to his own town. It says this, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, though we'll be looking at other events about the Christmas story and about Jesus' birth, right now I want to focus on just the last part of that seventh verse, where it says, there is no place or no room for them in the inn. So here we have Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We sang about that in our song a bit ago. The one who was present at the beginning, and he was active in the creation of the world. This very Jesus has come to the earth, which was created through him, and he arrives, and there's no room. No room for him here. And we can interpret this to, to mean there's no room in the inn when he came, there, that the, his parents had no room in the inn for him, or the word inn can actually also be equally translated as guest room. And so some people theorize that he actually came to his family, but they already had guests there that were also coming in for the Passover, so there was, there was no, or for the census, so that there was no room for him there either way. But either way you look at it, you're like, well, that's awful. Here this young couple is wanting to give birth to this child, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Messiah is coming, and there's no room for him. And that's true. It is tragic. It is sad. But is it equally as sad if we don't have room for him in our life? If we're so busy with the things we're doing that we don't have room? Sometimes I like to, maybe we're all this way, sometimes I like to look at other people and see what they're not doing right. But I really need to look at myself and say, have I made room for Jesus? And so that's what we're going to look at today as we go through this, this passage this morning and some other passages as well. So uh, we should make room for Jesus, but are we even willing to be inconvenienced by him? Are we willing to make changes in our lives for his sake or out of obedience to him? And so as we look at Jesus' birth in Luke and Matthew, 
I'd like to suggest that several people did make room for Jesus. We focus on the no room. I still remember we taught our kids with our little Advent thing. And then one innkeeper goes on, no room, you know. And uh, by the way, you won't find an innkeeper mentioned in that passage at all. Just throw that in there as well. But, um, but um, uh, several people did make room for Jesus. First, we have Mary, a young woman who seemed to be living her life in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. She was wanting to please him. Suddenly, an angel appears, and her life radically changed, didn't it? Suddenly, things are different. So Luke uh, 1, verses 30, uh, 26 through 38, read this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a lot to take in for Mary. And her first question was, her only question actually, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Have you ever thought about the response that Mary gave at that moment? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. God coming in and I'm going to be pregnant. All these things are going on. All those things. And other than asking questions, other than how can this happen because I'm a virgin, she had no questions. There were no fear questions like, What will Joseph think? Will he leave me? What will my friends or my family think about this? What's going to happen to me? None of those questions at all. She simply responded, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so in spite of possible embarrassment, humiliation, loss of friendships, not to mention possible rejection by loved ones and maybe the loss of her fiancé, Mary made room for Jesus. In fact, Mary submitted her whole self to him. She said, I am available to you. According to God's word, Mary's fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man, or just man, depending on your version. And can you imagine how he must have felt when he learned that Mary was pregnant? He's thinking, we've been doing what's right. How did you get pregnant? It had to be those questions. And yet, the book of Matthew shares some of Joseph's thoughts. And so we'll take a look at that. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to skip down to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here is Joseph as well. I guess he couldn't ask questions in the middle of a dream, but he was willing to endure possible ridicule, mocking, and disgrace, and he made room for Jesus when he obeyed the angel of the Lord and took Mary for his wife. He was willing to make the legal union then and wait for the physical union at a later time. And I thought about that later. I thought, it's interesting. Maybe that hid some of the embarrassment as well, because they were married pretty early on. She wasn't pretty far along in her pregnancy when they got married. It probably happened pretty quickly. But again, no extra charge for that thought. So, uh, all right. Uh, we've seen that Mary and Joseph were willing to make room for Jesus in their lives. Um, and I thought about it in my life, and I thought about some of the specific areas that I want to be sure that I've given room to Jesus in. Have I given him certain areas? And, and these are all areas that maybe, we should, maybe all of us should revisit periodically. And so we're going to look a little bit more specifically, and one of them is uh, the fact that we should make room for Jesus with our time. When we think of the Christmas story, we often think of the wise men giving their gifts to Jesus, but they also gave him something even more significant. They gave him their time about that. Matthew 2 verses 1 and 2 say this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The wise men traveled a great distance to get to Jesus. It might have been a month or two uh, to get there at least. Um, they had to stop with it and to do that they had to stop whatever was going on in their lives. There was an interruption to them. They had to put down their books, their tools, maybe their telescopes. I don't know how they were stargazing. Uh, but they probably had to cancel some commitments, but they made time for Jesus. And the first thing they did when they saw Jesus wasn't to give him gifts. The first thing they did was worship him. They gave time to worship Christ. Verse 11 says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so they took time to worship Jesus before they offered him those gifts. Well, even before the wise men had arrived, the shepherds, who didn't have far to travel, made room for Jesus as well. Reading from Luke 2, verses 15 and 16, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So again, they dropped everything. I don't think they dropped their sheep, but you know, they, they stopped everything uh, and spent time with Jesus. They left their sheep and went straight to see him. They said, let's go with haste. Uh, and verse, 12, verse 20 tells us that they were blessed by going. They were rejoicing and praising God because they had taken time out of their schedule to spend time with Jesus, and they were blessed by that. It makes me think that they were pretty wise men as well, uh, not just the the other guys. So, um, and for each of us, do you have time to rest and reflect on God? Is your schedule so full that you don't have any wiggle room? Do you make time to read his word? Do you consciously make time to pray? And when I say you, I'm including me in all this too. Are we doing those things? Is Jesus Christ that important to us? Wise men and women, even today, make time for Jesus and give him room with their time. We should also make room for Jesus in our decision-making. We read Luke 1.38 earlier and saw Mary chose to obey the angel. Uh, and so she chose to obey, the more accurately, she chose to obey the word of God. And her response, if you remember, was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
And as we study God's Word, it's a good challenge for us, too. Do we have that hard attitude to say, I will do what God has asked me to do? In Matthew 1, we read that the angel told Joseph not to leave Mary, and so instead he took Mary as his wife. And it says in chapter 2, starting verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. This is taking place after Jesus was born and when Herod's wanting to come kill Jesus. So says, take, your, uh, uh, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, meaning Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And then down to verse 19, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So Joseph made decisions based on what God had told him, things he understood that God wanted him to do. And he made his decisions based on God's leading. Twice Joseph uprooted his family uh, and followed God because he was listening to God. There are also men, and you can think of lots of men and women in Scripture who made decisions based on God's leading. I've got a couple examples here. 1 Samuel 16, the example in Samuel's life when he was looking for the next king of Israel. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 6, I'll read verses 6, 1 Samuel 16, verses 6, 7, and 13. It says, when they came, referring to Jesse's sons, uh, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then um, verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, or David, in the midst of his brothers. Because Samuel chose to listen to God, Israel was blessed to have a king who, who followed God with his heart and was known later as a man after God's own heart. And so it was important. Samuel listened to God and, and uh, obeyed him. Then in Acts, we see that Saul changed his plans when Jesus spoke to him on his way to persecute the Christians. Acts 22, verses 10 and 11 say, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? This is after the bright light, uh, and he's, he falls to the ground. He says, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And so Saul recognized the error of his ways, and Saul obeyed Jesus' voice. And again, when Saul obeyed Jesus, look how much we have in scriptures and the examples we have of living, uh, serving God faithfully, and even missions and all those kinds of things because Saul obeyed Jesus' voice. But just like Mary and Joseph and Samuel and Saul and many others in scripture, we would do well to make room for Jesus and his leading in our decision-making. And again, do you and I allow Jesus to speak to us when we have a decision to make? It's important to do whether it's family decisions or if it's business decisions or sometimes it's a balance of them both. And when your business decision is full-time ministry, it really gets a challenge because am I, is this for God or is this the job? Is this my family? How, how do you balance those things? And so we need to spend time in prayer and say, God, how do I deal with this? What would you have me to do? And it's not just the big decisions, but even the little decisions uh, because the little ones can grow into major decisions down the road as well. So encourages on those things. Uh, also, if you have decisions on what you're doing with your use of your personal devices, does this honor the Lord? And I'm not just talking pornography. I'm talking time and decision-making. Am I using my time in a way that pleases the Lord? Um, and am 
Am I making those decisions that would honor him? So a good challenge for all of us as, as we look at our lives. Uh, do we have room for Jesus? Um, it's also for us important for us to make room for Jesus in our finances. Nobody likes to talk about money, I know. Uh, but we've read that the wise men offered gifts to Jesus, and these gifts were gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and obviously those were costly gifts. In fact, Matthew 2.11 refers to them as treasures. Those were treasures that they offered to Jesus. In John 12.3, we learn about a different Mary who offered an expensive gift to Jesus as well. This Mary was actually the sister of Lazarus. And John 12.13 says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary, Lazarus' sister, gave perfume to Jesus, which was an expensive gift, but she also gave herself in serving Jesus. She took that time uh, to do that for him. And this is a reminder that it's not about the money, but it's about the heart attitude. She didn't just say, here, Jesus, I got this perfume for you. She used it on it. She took time to say, you are precious to me, and you are more valuable than this. And it's a reminder for us uh, to have that attitude as well. And we should have an attitude of generosity as we give to others. Uh, and this is brought out in the Old Testament as well. First Chronicles verses 29, I'm sorry, chapter 29, verses 6 through 9. Uh, and this is talking about when David was wanting to build the house for the Lord, and God said, not you, but your son will do this. But David got all the preparations. He got as close to building it as he could, and then said, okay, God, I'll, I'll stop here. Uh, but this is, this, this is what happened. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and of the officers over the king's work. And it goes on to show how much they gave, the generous leaders and the people, how much generosity they had. And then verse 9 we pick up, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And then verses 14 and 16 give insight into, as to why they're eager to give their finances. And this is David talking. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. That's powerful, powerful stuff to remember. All of it comes from Jesus. And so David and the Israelites gave willingly because they recognized that all of this had come from God. And we too should have this attitude, whether our gifts are small or large. In fact, we see in James chapter 2 uh, that God's word encourages it, encourages us uh, to give with a good heart attitude and to give generously. Um, reading here, it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And we had a, uh, we had a time years ago, Sharon and I were with our family, and our kids are grown, and so we're kind of all together, and we came out of a restaurant, and there's this lady that gave us what we assume was probably not a true story about this desperate need of her baby, and she just needed a little money to do this. But you know what? How do you deal with those things? It's a tough call. I know there are places that actually had, there's a business racket that goes on for a lot of that, but there are also needy people. We chose, as an example for our children, we talked about later, to, to give some money to this lady. Why? Because we wanted to show that we should be generous. We just came out of a restaurant. We just bought for our kids. If we can't give to this lady, and so it's hard to balance those things, but what is our hard attitude in all of those things? And back to decision-making, Lord, what should we do in that situation? So just an encouragement. 
to have that heart of generosity, realizing everything we have is God's, and he'll take care of us, and uh, maybe using us to take care of other people as well. So um, anytime I stand over here, you'll know I have to find my place when I come back here. So bear with me. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. What good is that if, if we don't give, if we, don't, if we say good things and don't give to them? So, so again, do we give to the Lord? Do you and I give to the Lord from our first fruits? Or do we give only when we know our other expenses are covered? Oh, good, I've got a little extra money, I can do that. It might be even for the church. Oh, I can, I can give now because I made sure things are covered. Or do we give the first fruits and say, Lord, all of this belongs to you. I'm going to do my tithe. I'm going to give to this organization. I'm going to do what you want me to do, what you've put in my heart, and trust you to get all those other balls to fit into that bin because I know you can do that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 isn't on your outline, but it says, Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that verse is also a good segue into our next main point. We should make room for Jesus in our hearts. As you know, really, all these things we've been talking about will fall into place when we make room for Jesus in our hearts. Matthew 36:33. I read earlier, but seek the first but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So just like our object lesson with the ball and the balls in the bin, if we start with making room for Christ, then he'll guide us to ensure that all of the important things in our lives will fit in uh, just as, as, as well. We can fit all those things in. And there were two senior saints mentioned in, in the Christmas story, and as I get older, I start appreciating the senior saints more and more. Uh, but uh, there's Simeon and Anna. And um, I'm gonna, they seem to bear this out about how focusing on God and what he wants us to do and then letting the rest of life take care of itself. And um, these two senior saints were there when, when Jesus was eight days old. Um, uh, he was dedicated in, at the, in, the temp, in Jerusalem. And Luke 2, 25 and 26 tell us this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. In Simeon's life, it says he was righteous and he was devout. And I thought about that. What an honor it would be if, if, if someday somebody says that about you. That person was righteous and devout. They did what was right. And, uh, and so we also look at uh, Anna, and it says in Luke just a few verses later, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So she married for seven years and he passed away. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna spent night and day worshiping with fasting and prayer. And both of these people, God spoke through both of them to say, this child is the Christ. He used those righteous people, those people that had spent time with him, he used in a mighty way to make an announcement. And back in those days, if you remember scripture, one witness to something really didn't amount to anything in the courts. You needed two witnesses to say, ooh, there's something here, we should take a look at this. And here God placed these two witnesses there to say, 
this is something significant, and take note of this. And so, um, so again, what a, what a blessing it would be to, to be that type of a person and an example, and as an example for the rest of us. And I hope we all can take steps to worship, fast, and pray uh, night and day. Now, maybe not literally, but, uh, and I don't think it's just waiting until we're retired. That's the hard part, too. How do, how do we fit these things in? But both of these people, it seems, sought the kingdom of God above everything else. And not only were their needs met, but they were blessed by God. And they also thanked God for his many blessings. So as you think about making room for Jesus in your life, more specifically in your time, your decision-making, your finances, and especially your heart, you may wonder what the first step should be. Where do I start with this? Before I even answer that, let me say this. I'm sure that God doesn't want you or me to spend our time frantically trying to meet deadlines. Nor does he want us to be bullheaded or indecisive when decisions need to be made. I'm sure he doesn't want us to be up to our ears in debt either. In all these things, I think we would honor God by having margin in our lives, a little bit of space. We need to resist the temptation to live life on the edge in any of these areas. It's always, I always get amazed, you know, what, what's the first thing? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I've been really busy. Now, don't raise your hand. How many of us say that? I keep wanting to be able to say, I've been relaxing, and I can't get there. <laughs> so, but I want to do that. We should have that desire to have some peace and tranquility in our lives. So margin is kind of a word. It's a book about margins, good book. But, but we need to resist the temptation to live life on the edge in these areas. Back to the balls in the bin, we may do, need to do some major reprioritizing uh, so that we can have room for Jesus in our lives. Take a step back and start fresh. If you've already received Jesus as your personal Savior, if you want to make room for him in your heart or your, your very being, I would suggest that the next step is to consistently take time to meditate on his word. Take time to meditate on his word. Don't just read it, but meditate. Think about it. What is this saying to me? And when I, when I talk about adding, you know, when we're making room for Jesus, if you've trusted him as your Savior, then yes, you've given him a place in your heart, but there's, there's a lot of room left in our lives. A lot of things that we can open up to Christ. And so don't get those things confused. We're, we're making more room, more room in our life for him. Okay? Um, so take time to meditate on his word. Joshua 1.8 says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Meditate on God's Word. Simeon, Simeon mentioned earlier, likely meditated upon God's Word. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but I can't imagine a person that's righteous and devout uh, without studying God's Word and applying it to his life. Uh, at the same time as you meditate on God's Word, we must take time to pray. Say, Lord, how does this apply to me, this that I've read? Uh, the early church grew so quickly because they spent time in prayer. Acts 1.14 says, And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so to really benefit from meditating on God's word and praying, we should be asking God, what do you want me to do? I've read this. Okay, that's how it applied there. How does this apply to my life? But then don't stop there. The next step is we must obey it. We must obey what we read and do what God wants us to do. Peter and the apostles in Acts 5, uh, verse 29, boldly proclaimed, we must obey God rather than men. This was at a time where they were out preaching the word and the religious leaders were saying, stop, don't do this. And they kept on doing it. So they finally pulled him in and said, hey guys, you need to quit. And he said, we must obey God rather than men. 
but don't think that this will be easy. Often obedience and making room for Jesus in general comes at a cost. And in fact, just a few verses after Peter made that bold, we must obey God rather than men, what happened? Here's what happened. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, because they talked about, what are we going to do with these guys? And they said, well, we're not going to kill them, but let's, let's beat them up a little bit. And so when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They rejoiced even though they were beat up, they were mistreated because of their stand. And we don't want to offend somebody, so we laugh at the joke. Or you know, Are we willing to say, hey, I'm going to go through whatever because I want to honor God. I want to be obedient to him. And after they were beat up, what did they do? If anything, they were more zealous. They went out and they said, I can't stop now. This is what God wants me to do. And with fervor, they went out and preached and teached um, or taught uh, Christ, or Christ is Jesus or Jesus is the Christ. And so that they realized that what they were going through was nothing compared to what Jesus has done for us. And uh, we sang that song, Thou didst leave thy, thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou come, camest to earth for me. Um, and if you listen to those verses, all those things Jesus Christ gave up for us. And there's no way I can share in the few minutes I have left all that Christ has done for us. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 reminds us that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried he rose again on the third day, just like Scripture said he would. Jesus Christ, he died for us. I know we, we know that, but do we take that to heart? Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have blessings awaiting us in heaven. He also blesses us now. Um, another reminder of what Christ has done for us from Philippians have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we can look at all of what Christ has done for us and say, I can serve him. I can open my heart to him. I can make room for him and live my life to please him. Just to say thank you. It doesn't earn me more brownie points with him. It doesn't give me a better home in heaven. But it's saying thank you, God, for what you've done for me. And, and I trust that's our heart. And if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you haven't received him as your Savior yet, the first step in making room for Jesus is to ask him to be your Savior, to trust him for what he's done. And to do that, um, we tell the children, so forgive me, it still applies to adults, the ABCs. We need to admit that, that uh, we aren't good enough to go to heaven. And uh, that's hard to take. Even as I read that, as I worked on my outlines and stuff, I admit that I'm not good enough for heaven. I always say not good enough to go to heaven. No, I'm, not, I'm just plain not good enough for heaven. It's true. Neither are any of us here. But, we, but the beauty of it is we don't have to be. We have to, uh, John, uh, Romans 3.23 does say, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. We tell the children, all means all, and that's all all means. It's true. All of us have sinned uh, and can't earn our way to heaven. But the next part, ABCs, remember, B is believe. Believe that Jesus took the punishment for your sins. J 
John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And to believe in him means to trust completely. It means I, I, I recognize I can't get to heaven by myself. I'm not good enough to get to heaven. But I believe that Jesus died for me and took my punishment. And it's a recognition uh, that Jesus is the one that's done this for us. And then the third step, C, is to call on, <clears throat> excuse me, call on him and ask him to save you. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. God makes a promise, and God keeps his every promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And that's the call of, of basically a call of desperation, a call of humility, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't earn my way to heaven. I know I can't. Um, and calling on him and asking him to save us. And uh, if you've never done this, you can do that right now. And I trust most of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but I couldn't think of the Christmas season going by when Christ came to give eternal life to every one of us without at least giving people, and I'm not going to an altar call, so don't get nervous here, but, but I will share with you how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some of you may be upstanding people in our church for years that haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. Some of you may be visiting for the first time. But I'd at least like to give you that opportunity. Um, and so there aren't any magic words, but you can talk to God from your heart, either quietly or out loud, and in your, in your own words right now. And we can, I'll go ahead if we want to just, let's bow our heads and, and not look around. But I'm just, I'm, uh, just want to share what, what you can pray. In your own words, you can tell God that you know you've done wrong things and that you know you're not good enough to get to heaven. However you want to share that from your heart. You can tell him what you believe about Jesus. Like, I know Jesus died to take the punishment from our sins. Or I know he died and he rose, came back to life again. I know he's the Savior. And then you can ask him to forgive you for the wrong things you've done. Specifically, or the things that, that come to mind. And you can ask him to save you so that you can live with him in heaven someday. And then when you're done praying, you simply can say thank you. Or you can say amen, which is, just simply means so be it. So... Um, you can look up now if you'd like. Uh, and so if you've done that, I would encourage you to tell somebody about that. Or if you want to talk to me about it after the, mess, after the service, I'll be in the back, and I can show you more from God's Word on how you can know for sure that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and that you will get to heaven not because you're good enough, but more so because you're willing to admit that you're not good enough and you accept that free gift of Jesus Christ. And so it is pretty simple. We talked about it in Sunday school. There are a lot of deep truths you can dig into uh, how Christ did this and how God works, and it's fascinating stuff, but it's also very simple to trust him as your Savior. And so um, for all of us, though, it's important to remember that Jesus always has room for you and me. Isn't that nice to know? Jesus has room for us. Um, if, if, if we're struggling to get life in balance, he has a promise for us. When we need rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we're struggling to trust him or we're going through a difficult time, we can remember Hebrews 13, 5. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We tell the children that means he's never going to walk out on us. He's never going to turn his back on you. Isn't that true? He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And if you're, when your life on earth is over, we have a promise of plenty of room in heaven. And this should be encouraging to all of us. John 14, 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And so what an encouragement that we have heaven waiting for us, and we've got Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, who lives in our heart today when we know him as our Savior, so that we can live this life that pleases him, so we can find that time and make that time 
uh, to give him first place in our lives. And so after all that Jesus has done for us and promises to do for us, I trust that we'll all be compelled out of love for him to make room for him in our lives. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you that you've made room for us uh, in heaven and for all of us if we've trusted you as our Savior. Thank you that you care enough about us, that you're patient with us as we struggle to please you here on earth. Thank you that you um, have made a way that we can follow you and please you, and that's by spending time in your word, spending time meditating on your word, spending time in prayer. And I pray that we would all find time not only at Christmas, uh, but uh, during this season and throughout the coming year and years, help us to make room for you and help our lives to be an example of what it means to follow you so that someday we can be recognized as being righteous and devout men and women that have been sold out to live in our lives in a way that pleases you. In your name we pray. Amen.